What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Andre Fernandez, deputy sports editor, back for another week here with Miami Marlins writer Jordan McPherson. And uh, these Marlins, they really need to get things going because, yeah, they come, they're coming off a win on Sunday against the Nationals. That's good. But one win isn't going to cut it. Obviously, they need to string some of these wins together. As of this recording, three back of that final wild card spot. Overall, kind of slipping out of it a little bit. Now, of course, they're going to face uh, an important, a short but important two-game home set against the Tampa Bay Rays, and then those Nationals again, and those Nationals that aren't as aren't as buried as they used to be, even though they're kind of out of it in terms of the, of the wild card race themselves. But you know, a young team, a rebuilding franchise that's uh, playing some inspired ball lately. So, but the Marlins have their own set of problems. They can't worry about other teams, as we've talked about. Why is this team in the rut they're in right now? We know it's a lot of it is the offense. On paper, they probably should be better. You know, they're, they're, some of their moves have worked, at least numbers-wise. You know, Bell, Berger, you name it. Arias is still hitting pretty well. But overall, Jordan, what are you seeing from this team that just doesn't seem to be able to get it, to really get it going on a consistent level enough to stay in this race? Yeah, there's one key point that you touched on there. It's You're seeing a lot of individual su- success, but it's not becoming cohesive for the team's success. Obviously, we're seeing Jorge Soler. He's mashing right now. I think it's seven home runs over his last 12 games. Josh Bell and Jake Berger have been fantastic since the Marlins acquired them. But since August 2nd, when the Marlins, when Bell and Berger made their Marlins debuts, Marlins are only averaging about 3.8 runs per game. That's not going to cut it. Even when the starting pitching is finally starting to turn the corner, even when you see some bright spots out of the bullpen. When you see these, some of these individual highlights, three getting less than four runs a game, that's not going to get you into the playoffs. And the Marlins, with you mentioning, needing to string wins together. Do you know what their longest win streak is so far since the All-Star break, Andre? Three? Three games. There they've we go. won back-to-back. They've won back-to-back games three separate times since the All-Star break. Well, that's I, it. I, I, I just went with the, uh, with you know, the principle of uh, the manager for major league, you know, Lou, I mean, I mean, that's what he said. It was like, you win yesterday then you win today. You win tomorrow. That's a win. That's what they call a winning streak. So yep. I just went, always go with the Lou principle. On yep. that one. Yeah. But they won their longest win streak is three consecutive games. The last two against that, against the Yankees and the first game against Houston Astros. Other than that, they've only won back-to-back games two other times since the all-star break. And that's why they are where they are. They're 66 and 65 with, 31 games left to play. Obviously, they're not out of it yet. Three game, a three-game deficit is manageable, especially when you know a lot of these teams that are above them are still going to have to go up against each other. So there is going to be some moving around just by the sake of what the schedule is. But Miami needs to take care of its own business, and that starts with this two-game series against the Rays, who a team that's historically over the last five, six years have had their number. The Marlins split the two-game set with Tampa in St. Pete. Earlier this year, Sandy Alcantara getting the win, the win up in up at the Trop with a complete game. He'll get the ball on Tuesday. Jesus Rosario gets the ball on Wednesday, and then, like you said, they go back to facing the Nationals again, who just took two or three against them this weekend. And like you mentioned with the record, just the one thing that pops out to me when I was looking up things this morning: Washington and San Diego, identical records. Something that I don't think anybody would have predicted 
heading into the season this year. Would you agree with that, Dre? I mean, not now with the team that started the season with and has Juan Soto, not the team that doesn't have Juan Soto being right there with him. I mean, that that's that's all the egg in your face that you need right there to, to show you that it's been a bad year for the Padres. But anyway, we digress about, about San Diego. Marlins have their own issues and and really you know, like you said, there they, there could be little moves that they're making to maybe start to turn the corner. Like I said, Arias, I agree with you. I think he probably should be up at the at the leadoff spot. He's you know work works as a table setter. We know he can drive in runs too, but his ability to get on and create havoc and and really just create runs is what this team needs. I mean, I like the move there, and, and Soler, what he's doing. I mean, it makes you appreciate. Uh, I, I love when you wrote that. It's, he's not re- he's not going to reach Giancarlo Stanton and what he did. I mean, I still I'm still bitter that he couldn't hit 60 that one season. That would have been special to watch. But interesting though that you know he's reaching the levels of a lot of good years that this franchise had. Most most notably the Gary Sheffield year in '96 when he hit 42. So it would be it would be individually it would be cool to see him do that. But I think also if you're talking about a 40 45 home run, well it would have to be 45 to break the record. Or to pass him, you're talking about also it's going to help on the offensive side, and they really need that right now. Yeah, and I agree, and that's why with Soler being as high as he is, having Luis Arise as the, as the table setter ahead of him in the lineup, turning those potential solo shots into two run shots. Who know, again that makes that makes a big difference. And looking at Luis Arise specifically, again his numbers have dipped. He's down to 350 with the batting average. Freddie Freeman is actually nipping on his heels for the batting. For the NL batting average leader now, Freddie Freeman's about 340 right now. So, but looking at Luis Arias specifically in terms of where he is in the batting order, the Marlins moved him down to the number two spot for a good bit when they put Soler to the leadoff spot to try to get Soler going. 12 games batting second, Arias only hit 188. He was nine for 48, just one extra base hit, one RBI. Compare that to the 63 games when he was in the leadoff spot. 375, 97 for 259, batting third, 368. So it's just seeing where guys fit best in terms of how things go, in terms of how pitchers are going to attack them based off of what the order looks like, if there are going to be guys on base. Again, and Arise, we've got second. Again, he's not he's not a speedster. He's not going to be able to lay out infield singles. So if you have a guy who gets on base before him and it's only a single, Arise hits a ground ball, it's a double play. Whereas right. if Arise finds a way to get on base and then you have a power here behind him, you have a chance to drive him in instead of having Arise being the guy to drive the guys in, which really, yes, he can yes, he can be an RBI producer, but his main main responsibility should be getting on base for those big bats, the Jorge Solares, the Josh Bells, the Jazzes, the Jake Burgers, to be able to let them drive him in. So seeing Skip put Arise back at the leadoff spot on Sunday, I was happy with it to see them finally go back to that because they were having success when he was at the top of the lineup. I understand why Skip uses the leadoff spot the way he does to try to get guys going and give them an extra bat or two a game. Did that with Soler. He did that with Jazz a little bit in the second half. But Arise is no, should be the number one. Soler, again, Skip, Skip touts that he likes having power in the two. Soler should be your number two. And then Jake, J- uh, Josh Bell, Jake Berger, Jazz Chisholm Jr., the three Js, put them three through five, whichever order you like, depending on what the matchup looks like, and then go from there. 
yeah, I mean, no, there's nothing wrong with with Arias getting a couple extra bats here and there in the lineup either. Exactly. So, I mean, that, that's the benefit of putting him at the top for sure. Uh, let's switch now to the pitching side. And one of the other moves that they're making, which a pretty significant move, is that, that closer spot, which continues to be a revolving door. But it looks like they're going to go with Tanner Scott and give him a chance. And he has been, just from a, just from a metric standpoint, from a number standpoint, in a setup role, of course, mostly, but he's been very good. And you looked up a few of those numbers, uh, I know, uh, overall this week. Can this be the solution? Can this be the guy that finally, you know, settles into that and carries them a little closer and maybe into the postseason? Let's see. Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm very interested to see because Tanner Scott hasn't really, hasn't just been the Marlins' best reliever by metrics, by stats, by the eye test. He's been one of the best relievers in all of baseball this year. Right. I mean, you look at his stat cast data and outside the walk rate, which is in the 34th percentile, he's still walking a decent amount of batters, a nine and a half percent. It's still down from his career high, his or his career average of 13.3%. That's always been Tanner's issue. Tanner Scott's issue is he has really good stuff. His slider is swing and miss. It averages about 40% swing and miss rate. The fastball averages 96.5 miles an hour from the left side, but he can never place the pitches in the zone steadily, regularly, consistently. This year, he's throwing a ball about 50, 50.6% of the time in the strike zone and still getting that high swing and miss rate. That is that is the key for Tanner Scott to be successful, to be able to get more pitches in the zone and let the opponents beat him. Don't walk, guys, if you... If they get a hit, they get a hit. But let make it so that they're having to compete for every single every single reward that they get on the hitting side. And you look at his numbers overall, 2.55 ERA in 59 games, 83 strikeouts in 60 innings, which, by the way, that's ninth most already in Marlins history by a reliever in a single season. And would not be surprised if he ends up cracking the top three because – uh, the only two who I don't think he'll be able to get to, David Phelps with 114 Ks in 2016, Kyle Bearclaw with 113 also in that 2016 season. Third place is Rob Nen with 92. Tanner Scott would need just 10 more strikeouts this year with a month to go to get all the way up to the third most strikeouts in franchise history by a reliever in a single season. And the thing that's going to intrigue me the most that I'm going to be most curious to watch with Tanner Scott is – how things change with him mentality-wise going back to the closer role. He closed a bit last year, uh, uh, 20 saves and 27 opportunities, but a lot of those times it was like he was walking on a tightrope. It was 20 to 25 pitch out and it seemed like one or two guys got on every time, but he still ended up getting three strikeouts. He still yeah. ended up getting the job done, having that I don't give up bleak mentality, knowing that if he just offers his best stuff, he has the he has a better than average chance of getting guys out. So I want to see if what the success that he's had as the eighth inning guy this year will translate to the ninth inning this year or now, especially knowing that when you're in that closer role, you don't really have that protection. You're the last line of defense. It's you or potentially losing the game. I want to see how much that impacts him as they move forward here, giving him that shot. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like when you when you look at it, a team that plays this many close games and is always in these one-run battles, 
you need you need this. I mean, this this is one of the most important. I mean, when you're talking like in, in the past, sometimes the Marlins it was like, oh, who's the closer? Oh, but well, you were talking about a non-contending team, where it's almost like who cares? You know, <laughs> I mean, there probably there's other there was other areas that needed to be addressed that needed to be fortified, but now this is such a pivotal problem that they need to solve. So, at least numbers wise, Tanner Scott looks like a guy that could bring stability if. I guess the the transition to doing this in the ninth inning, which sometimes pitchers can for what you know, I guess because of the pressure or whatever, for some reason they're just more built to do the seventh and eighth than the ninth. But if Tanner if that doesn't affect him, this is something that's gonna be big. I mean, obviously you can't ignore the offensive problem for sure, but this needs to be done as well. And the the tricky part is can they do it through navigating through what's still in spots a challenging slate down the stretch? I mean, Tampa doesn't need them. Nothing else needs to be said. It's Tampa. Only two games. Obviously, the Nats are better. And then beyond that, you know, they have some games against the Mets and other teams, but they do have some against the Brewers and contending teams in there as well down the stretch. So can they, can this team put it together? How soon can they put it together? Because again, three games, three games, it's still at 31 left. So yes, there's time, but not a huge amount of time to get this going. No, especially in, especially when you look at what their schedule is after this week. Again, right. the two with Tampa, the four with Nationals. After their off day on September 4th, they play, I think I've got to do the numbers here, 3, 6, 10, 13, 16 consecutive games without a day off after that from September 5th to September 20th. And that schedule, three at home against the Dodgers. We just saw that played out. Right. Then a road trip, three at Philly, four at the NL Central leading Brewers who are on a hot streak right now, then three at home against the Braves, and then three at home against the Mets. That's, again, their second of their, the second set of their, holy crap, what the heck is going on here, part of their schedule of the second half. So they need to have, they need to do, they need to be able to hold their own this week with these six games, and then, again, do whatever they can to keep their heads above water during that stretch because, once that's done, you're down to your last 10 or so games. You're right. running out of time to really get any sort of momentum going, and they need to figure it out. They need to figure it out fast, or else that first half success where they were 14 over 500 is going to go to waste. Because It's funny. Already looking at some of the stuff we were talking about last week, some of our predictions, like the, the Giants are slipping out of it, but team we didn't team that I think we both agreed, you know, despite some of their talent, we both agreed – might have trouble, you know, getting hot again and sneaking back into it has been, and that's the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks yep. have surged right into the mix. So that's the thing. You have to take care of your own business, and the Martins have not overall have not been doing that lately. They better get it going fast because, like you said, there's still a lot of tough ones left, and and more than anything, that 16 day, 16 game, 16 day stretch itself just immediately brings to mind how is that pitching going to hold up both starting and pen. I mean, I don't care. Even if Tanner Scott's pitching well, it's got to get to Tanner Scott first first and foremost. So how do they handle that is going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, um, that's why. And also on that note, that's why I'm happy to see what Skip's been doing with, especially the guys like the Braxton Garrett's, the Yuri Perez's, and the Braxton Garrett's. He's manipulating the rotation order to give them as much rest as possible. Because again, originally the order for the race series should have been Lazardo on Tuesday, Sandy on Wednesday. He flipped the two of them, coupling that with two off days that they've had, the Thursday before the National Series and then Monday. 
This gives Lazardo, I believe it's eight days of rest in between his past, in between two starts. Sandy only six, which Sandy, we know he's a workhorse. We know he can handle this. He's done the 200 innings, two back-to-back seasons already. Lazardo, he's already 40 innings over his career high. So basically making it so that Lazardo skipped a full turn more or less in the rotation without him actually skipping a turn in the rotation is something that I see Skip using as much as he can, especially before this stretch where they're going to have to go as much as they can. And what might be interesting, again, remember, come, I believe it's Friday, September 1st, rosters expand to 28. So they could very well, depending on what they've seen from Edward Cabrera, for example, I know this hasn't been outwardly discussed or publicly done, or I'm not even sure if they're thinking about it, but I can see a six-man rotation and spots being possible down the stretch just to make sure some of these guys, the younger guys' arms stay fresh. They've got, they have the chance to do that with, with those arms. They have enough guys in the bullpen in terms of guys who can throw multiple innings between Brian Hoeing, Tommy Nance, and a couple of, and uh, George Soriano to be able to make it so that even if you're using a six-man rotation and going with, even if they're doing shorter since, like Yuri Perez, for example, likely never gonna, not going to go past six innings, hoping that he gets at least five in outing, you're still going to be able to have guys who can be insurance policies in case you need to have these younger guys go shorter outings down the stretch in order to make sure they're, fre- they're fresh through the end of September. Now, speaking of September, and on maybe on a slightly uh, smaller note, because it's not like it used to be where they get where they get so many, suddenly the roster's full. But uh, the it's almost time for September call-ups, you know. And Jordan, kind of give uh, the audience an idea, like who are some of the potentials to to be called up come September first, and can and will any of the, any of them really have any sort of meaningful impact on this playoff chase? Uh, for me, I mean, the way I see it, because again, if I remember correctly, they still have to keep the roster balanced in terms of pitchers and position players. So they can only bring up one pitcher, one position player. Uh, position player-wise, my gut would be Xavier Edwards. Just mm-hmm. we've seen how he's been doing in in AAA. To me, he's sort of like a combination of of a Luis Rise and a John, or a Luis Rise and a John Birdie. He's a switch hitter, has speed, can play all around the field. Uh, he's primarily second base center field. He's been playing some third base as well. And we saw the little taste that he had in the big leagues earlier this year. He had, I think he hit over 300 or so in the eight games and he's still hitting close to about 350, 355 in with AAA Jacksonville. He's on the 40 man roster already. So it doesn't, all they have to do is say, Hey, come up. And then on the pitching side, like I said a little bit earlier, I think, being able to bring Edward Cabrera back without having to send one of your other starters down would be a logical option. Again, if you can have a sixth man where you can either do a six man rotation or funnel guy or funnel guys around where you skip starts here and there, just keep everybody fresh. A starter makes the most sense logically, especially because of where they are with their bullpen. I don't think they need an extra, extra bullpen arm. They can always just shovel guys up and down for that spot. I think, they need a start another starting pitcher in that group in order just to to keep those young guys fresh. So from that standpoint, I think the pitching side will have more value than the position player side in terms of that extra spot in terms of helping them down the stretch. Well, I mean, again, that would address the issue of of just uh endurance, you know, and, and, yeah. and durability for a lot of those guys, especially like we said before, that 16 game 
16 day stretch, especially is going to be taxing. And you're getting to the point this point in the season where, you know, guys are got some guys like, you know, like Lizardo have blown right past career highs in innings and others are either getting there or have already exceeded him a little bit. And, and even the ones that haven't, I mean, even the guys that are like Ironman, like Sandy, you know, like they, they have to continue to last and you don't want to, you don't want to wear and tear guys too much. And in some cases they've had to do that. So as many fresh arms as you can, the more the merrier, the more the better and, and, and really necessary that they're going to have to have down the stretch, I'm sure. But I mean, uh, you know, let's see, how, let's see how it pans out. I mean, I, I like I said, like you said, I, the, the mixing and matching has been good. And I think they have been able to do some of that, but it, it's going to be a challenge down the stretch. So yeah, if, if a guy like Cabrera, who's had problems staying on the mound before uh, health wise, if he can be durable down the stretch, that's just an added boon for that team. Yeah, no doubt. And again, they're going to, they're going to need him. again. It's he's one of those guys where if his commands on point, he's a mini Sandy, just like Yuri's a right. mini Sandy. If you can have three of those dominant guys and then have your, le- have the lefties in Lizardo and Braxton Garrett going as well. That's a very dangerous starting rotation overall. And yeah. again, it's just a matter of how much, they can trust him again. Cabrera, they sent him down because his command was ineffective. He had two. He had two really good starts in AAA. His first two, and then his third one walked a bunch of guys. So the Marlins can't just go. Yeah, we need you. We're bringing you up, and just completely say, yeah, we know we said that we didn't. We wanted you down to work on your command, but hey, your command's your command's not great. But we need you, so come on up. It just it sends the mixed signals there. So they're taking the they're taking the long road with him. They're going to wait until they think he's ready, which at this point probably be another start, maybe two. But again, I still feel like he's probably the most logical one, especially when you look at the 40-man roster, there really aren't that many starters left that they have that are healthy. They're either healthy or on the 40-man, and you can't really afford to try to bring a guy onto the 40-man that you don't necessarily need to put on there yet, just looking at all the players they have on the 60-day IL that – they're going to have to add right after the season ends and have to make all those roster crunch, all those roster crunches. It's going to be interesting to see how they maneuver that aspect of it down the road as well. And and speaking of Sandy too, I mean, I, I it's good that he's been pitching more often than not. He's been himself again, but you know, like, like what happened the other day, you know, I mean, I know he, you know, kind of lost it a little bit. I know he's had his moments this year and he's frustrated, but you want to see him keep that in check obviously, because we know how good he can be. You want you, it, It's a time of year that the emotions are going to run high, no doubt about it. You're going to see it even more in the playoffs. You always see the playoffs look like the WBC. Guys cheer a little more. They let out a little more and all of that. But to get there and to, and to be effective and be that effective pitcher, you want to see him maybe – you want to see him rein that in and, and, and really be in control and really be himself while being as good of a pitcher as we know he can be. So hopefully – he does that, you know. I know you 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 had the perspective of seeing some of that too, uh, of what happened. But I mean, I I, I for one, like I'm, I hope he can he can get that you know that focus without letting that kind of take over, like we saw. Yeah, no, I mean we've seen that a couple times with Sandy, but yes, it was a bad outing. He was he was frustrated mostly with again. He mentioned the lack of run support, which I think was the first time he ever publicly mentioned lack of run support when talking right. about his frustrations after a loss. But he also, his command wasn't there against the Padres. 
He had the walk before he gave up the big home run and then gave up a fourth run before being taken out. But even with that start where, again, he gave up four runs over six and two-thirds innings, he still, since the All-Star break, 3.02 ERA over eight starts, two complete games in that span, including the game against Tampa, uh, 56 and two-thirds innings, uh, just a 233 batting average against, 1.08 whip. He's still looking like the Sandy that the Marlins wanted to see all season, not mm. necessarily in Cy Young form, but close enough to it to be that guy who's able to be the stopper that he was right. all of last year, all of 2019, all of 2021. Just this, if Sandy can pitch to a three ERA the rest of the way, the Marlins will take that and run, especially right. if he's able to go, six, seven innings at least every single time like he has so far. I don't think he's gone less than six innings any of his starts since the All-Star break. That's another key part with him because they knew that they needed him to not just eat innings but effectively eat innings, and he's been doing that, and it seems like every time he does it, he's coming up after the bullpen's been taxed from a game before and basically helping reset that bullpen, give everyone a day off. I still remember one of my favorite lines from last year. One of the relievers, when I asked him about Sandy, he was like, yeah, he comes up to us and goes, yeah, you need to give me your check for the day because I made sure you got the day off. And he's basically been doing that since the All-Star break. So, yeah. again, if he can maintain that, it gives the Marlins one of their key weapons that they were hoping to have all season back down down the home stretch. Yeah, I, 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 my, my point is like even just in terms of big picture, just him as a pitcher, you're sometimes it's going to happen. You're going to give up runs. You're going to face adversity. It's, it's okay. That can happen to you. And, you know, we saw it last year. We know how good of a career he is going to, and I think have, and we know that. But that, you know, this, this is all part of that still, even now, him coming into his own and be evolving as a pitcher. You know what I mean? Like, like I, you, you, you don't, you want to see him, you, you have to control that. You have to control that emotion to a degree and, and he'll learn and it'll be part of it. And you'll see it, but I like I, we, we were narrow, you're, you're narrowing it. Yeah. I know it, and it's fine. Yeah. We're narrowing it to this season, but I think even beyond this season, I think the way he deals with that and the way he learns how to deal with adversity will, will just help him in the long run. And, yeah. and hopefully, yeah. he continues to do that. Yeah. But with that said, I'd also rather see him go slightly overboard with the emotions than have apathy and basically just be like, no, right, right. Yeah. No, 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 no. You don't want him to not care completely. And that's what I mean that it's a balance yeah. too. But I think that, that sometimes you don't want it to also affect to the point where it affects your pitching. And, and and opponents pick up on that. And that's another thing. Opponents should, or at least they should, sometimes they'll see if a pitcher's rattled. You don't want to give that away. You know how it is. It's a chess match out there. You want to be in control the whole time. And it's hard sometimes when you, when you really care. No, you definitely want him to be invested. And there's no doubt about that part of it. But, you know, like I said, it's all part of the process, and he'll balance that out hopefully as, as he goes on and the Marlins will be a better team for it for as long as he's pitching for them. So uh, on that note, we'll be back next week with another episode of fish bites. Let's see uh, where the Marlins stand by then. Obviously this uh, little home slash road stretch will be, uh, will be key. I mean, this team kind of teetering on the brink a little bit, maybe not on the complete brink right now, but, you don't want to let it slide a little more where, to where you're talking there are five games out with only 20-something to go because then you really are on the brink at that point. So we'll see where they are in one week's time. For Jordan McPherson, I'm Andre Fernandez. As usual, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to Fish Bites Podcast. <laughs>